You're listening to the B-School Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Elise Morrison, embodiment coach and founder of Inner Workout. Consider B-School your invitation to becoming a student of yourself. So come on, let's get studying. Hi, everyone. I am back with another incredible guest. Today, I have Steph Caldwell, who is doing so many incredible things. So she is a customer success leader and community architect at Narrative Science. She's also the founder of Manifest and the author of Manifest Her. Steph, welcome to the show. Thanks, Taylor. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. We were talking a little bit before we pressed record, and it was hard for me not to go into asking you questions because I'm just excited to hear what you have to say. So you're really in the business of building community, whether that's what you do in your day job or the work that you're doing through Manifest. So I'm really curious to hear what community means to you. Yeah, I when I saw this question, just loved the way that you phrased it because community can mean so much and it depends on whether you're talking about community in the software space or community in you know the digital detox space. But ultimately to me, community and culture are both very much intertwined. Whenever I'm struggling to define something, I just find it helpful to revisit the actual definition of it. So The definition of culture is the customs, arts, social institutions, and the achievements of a particular nation, people, or some other social group. So then if you kind of break that apart, culture starts with people who create the customs, the arts, those social institutions, and then together they become culture. So then if if culture starts with the people, how do people build relationships with each other? They share stories. And then stories are how we build those relationships. It's how we build trust. It's how we build culture. It's how we build community. So when I think about community, it's really three things. It's, it's content, the things that we're talking about, conversation, facilitating and promoting that open dialogue, and then community, encouraging the people doing the conversation to be authentic, vulnerable, real, to create that culture. And when you're intentional about how you kind of connect those elements, you start to architect a community. But I think community is participatory and over time it's it's really not sustained unless there is that dialogue and there's that open participation by members. So I don't think you can create community. I think you can only inspire it and create things that become a magnet for those members to come together to tell those stories, to really create the community themselves. So it's it's an art and a little bit of science, but it's it's a pretty exciting topic for me. Yes. And I really love what you just said about, because you hear all the time, how do I create community? Whether it's people trying to create a community online with their followers or a brand is thinking about how to create community. And you're right. It's not something that you can just create. You do have to inspire it. So thank you for that. That was like a mic drop. And I'm I'm going to have to reflect on that a little bit more once we sign off. <laughs> I've been thinking about it a lot lately, so I'm glad that it resonated with you. Yeah, it definitely does. Community is something that's been on my mind as well, which is part of why I was excited to bring you on the show. And I didn't mention this at the top, but how we met is through Manifest, through your company, where you bring women together and really are inspiring 
a community of goal-oriented, aligned women who are doing cool things in the world across industries. So the time that I was there, there was a woman who was an author, a lawyer. There were so many people from different industries, different careers. And for most of them, the connecting point was you. So you're the person who knows these people across industries. And I'm really curious what your favorite ways are to meet new people. Oh, man, I love this question. Because you asked me, I was like, what are my favorite ways to meet new people? And I think I say this at the beginning of every manifest event, or at least I try to, which is I hate networking. I remember moving from college to Chicago and thinking, I got to, you know, I got to build roots in this city and I got to network and I got to know people. And I went to all of these events where they dump a bunch of people in a room. They provide no conversation starters. They provide lots of alcohol and they, they just cross their fingers and hope that people will, will meet and enjoy their time together. And frankly, for me, it didn't work. I would go to those events and I would find myself like sucking down drinks because at least if I had something occupying my mouth, I didn't have to be in conversation. And so what ultimately clicked for me was I've always been an avid consumer of content, whether that's watching movies or reading articles or books or listening to podcasts. And at one point, I realized that when I was so inspired by the people who I was listening to or reading about, that they were people just like me who if I reached out and told them, I really love what you're doing. I love how you said this. I think that this, this thought that you shared really inspired me. I disagree with this, this part of that, that they would respond and ultimately would be interested in connecting because who doesn't like a stranger on the street that stops them to tell them that they think they're amazing. And so for me, my favorite way to connect with people is actually to get authentically inspired by content that I'm consuming and then just tell people, hey, I'm inspired by you. And I noticed you're in my city. or I noticed you're coming to my city. And I would love to meet with you or have a virtual coffee with you. Are you open to it? And what I found is most people are receptive to that. And you can then kind of have these conversations that you dream of having, but actually have them in in real life. I really like that. I find that networking is something that has just always felt a little inauthentic to me or, and I think it's for different reasons. Sometimes it's just because I tend to be a more introverted person. Um, Sometimes it's the rooms that I'm walking into where it's Mm -hmm. just like, are there really any points of connections or it's clear that a space isn't built for me to enter into it. But I do really like this idea and I'm trying to get back into more of my avid reader roots. Because when I was a kid, I would just devour books and I kind of stopped. So now I'm at this point where I am being authentically inspired by people and their ideas. And then even sometimes I'll read a book and then look up online and see that people have their own articles about it, how they've incorporated something into their life or their business. And so you're right. There's so many points of connection right there just by doing something that I already enjoy doing. Yeah. I am in the same camp as you. There was a point in my life when I was a kid that I would just devour books. And then um, now, you know, as an adult, I do the same. And when I look at that, the trough of like me 
not consuming content, the common factor there across all those years was school. I think school makes it a requirement for you to read. And so it feels like work and not like play. And once, you know, now that I've been out of school for some time, I think I finally recovered from the PTSD of being forced to read for so many years then now it's become my entertainment again. It's become enjoyable. So I'm sure that you're you're not alone in feeling that way. Yeah, I am finding how exciting it is to return to reading again. And yeah, I think a lot of it did have to do with school because on one hand, I like to be an overachiever. And so I wanted to do really well in school. But on, another, on the other hand, I actually really like learning by doing. And so I'd be reading these books to check the box, but I really wanted to be experimenting mm-hmm. the concepts and seeing them happen firsthand instead of just reading about how they might theoretically work in the real world. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most exciting things about reading, you know, like personal development now is, and maybe you feel this too, you can read a concept and implement it like that day. I just started atomic habits earlier today. And I'm already thinking about ways I can build that into my, my schedule, you know, starting tomorrow. Yeah, it, it is. It's so easy to implement when you are not having people imposing deadlines in, on you in the same way that you do when you're in school. And I'm also curious if you feel because your, your day job is in a startup, things I would assume are pretty fast paced. So is, do you feel like there's room for you to incorporate things that you're learning into your day job as well? Or what does that, that look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. I recently was inspired by one of the leaders at my company who was talking about how he had moved from being in the Marine Corps to being a McKinsey consultant to then going to work for a startup in tech in Chicago. And what he said really just struck a chord with me, which was that the pace of learning and implementation and iteration, working at a startup, especially in the tech space, is just so fast that if you're not a student constantly and implementing new ideas constantly, then you kind of fall behind. And so there is opportunity every single day during in my day job where I can apply a new idea or take an idea directly out of a textbook and share it with somebody and see how it informs our actions moving forward. And it's, it's pretty powerful. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That was not something that I planned to ask about, but I think it's interesting. And I think you're uniquely positioned as someone who works in tech at a startup, but is also building your own company to kind of speak to that feedback cycle in a way that other people definitely can incorporate things. I think we can all be implementing way more than we think we can, but you've you've got a pretty sweet setup right now. Yeah, I lucked out. Won the lottery on that. <laughs> so bringing it back to the conversation around community, once you've met these people, so maybe you've read someone's book and you reach out to them and you get coffee, that's great, but that's like one interaction. And maybe that person lives in San Francisco and you're in Chicago. What do you do to make sure that relationship stays warm, make sure that it stays strong and that if you sent them an email in the future, they wouldn't remember who you were? Yeah. So for me, it's all about compartmentalizing the type of relationship it's going to be. 
I'm sure that if you looked at your network of people, there are people that are main characters in your life. You know, for some, it's our, our spouses and our partners. And for others, it's our best friends and our dogs. But those are the main characters who you rely on, depend on for everything. And then there's, there's these kind of supporting characters and then there's the ensemble. So whenever I'm connecting with somebody brand new, it's not like they're trying out or auditioning for a spot in my head, but I think they naturally lock into one that is natural for the relationship. So if you really deeply connect with somebody and you feel like, wow, this person could, could mean a lot to me someday, then the kind of next step in that relationship and curating that relationship is very different than somebody who you meet and you're like, I'm so inspired by you. You have so many incredible ideas. I want to talk to you once a year to extract all of this incredibleness out of you and apply it in my own life. And so when you start compartmentalizing the different types of relationships that exist in your life, I think you can be really intentional about the ways you show up for them. So in the supporting character situation, a lot of supporting characters in my life who inspire me. And realistically, uh, we just don't have time to text each other or call each other every week or every month. And so we have standing quarterly coffees, which sound so not spontaneous, but they're quite perfect because we say we're going to dedicate 90 minutes to one another and really truly connect and enjoy each other's time and company and then set the next date and really look forward to that. And then in the more ensemble kind of compartment of my life, it's, wow, I'm so inspired by this person. I'm going to continue consuming their content. I'm going to continue sharing content that inspires me. So it's these like micro touch points along the way where you never really fall off their radar. You're always just kind of there in the background being supporting, being there and supporting them. And ultimately then if you do need to call in a favor, you do need to send that email to ask for a meeting or ask for another conversation. Um, you never really fell off their radar, but, but you were kind of in their ensemble as well. So it helps me to just understand and come to peace with, you know, where a relationship is, are they a main character or supporting character or in the ensemble and then curate and, and love them appropriately from there. Yeah. I think it's really easy for us to feel like, okay, I see on Instagram that these people have these huge groups of friends and then they also know all these people in business and they've got this really supportive partnership and feel like you have to pour in the same amount to every person. And that's just exhausting. So I like this idea of kind of bucketing people out and also knowing that those can shift. Like maybe someone who is in your ensemble ends up moving towards being more of a supporting role. Or maybe someone, you know, it can go either way. But I like that framework. And yeah, there's more that I could dig into around that because I think that you could definitely get into situations in like, what if someone thinks that you're there? Um, what was the highest level that you mentioned again? Like main character. Main character. Okay, that's right. I was like star role, but that's not it. I just made that up in my head. <laughs> hey, it's you can define it the way you want it. There's there's no rhyme or reason to it. <laughs> I'm just picturing like directors chairs with stars on the back and like my main people sitting on them. So that's where that came from. I love that. Uh, but yeah, there could be areas where someone feels like you're a main character for them, but they're ensemble for you and there's I'm sure things that you have to navigate, but honestly, that's just life. 
in navigating relationships with people because we're all human. But I really appreciate that framework. I could not agree more. And I think one of the things that you said that I just totally agree with is this idea that they're constantly shifting, right? Somebody who's a main character today can move to supporting cast tomorrow. Somebody who's ensemble today can move into main character status tomorrow. It's all kind of realigning. And when you don't have expectations that, you know, these main characters have to be my main characters for the rest of my life. Um, When you kind of give those relationships freedom and space to just naturally align where they are meant to align for the life stage you're in, you actually enjoy those relationships even more because there's nothing more frustrating in a relationship than having somebody in main character space in your mind who is treating you in their mind as a member of their ensemble. When you have that disconnect, it causes friction and it causes pain and it causes causes just all these terrible emotions that come up when relationships sour. And so it's been yeah really helpful for me to just know where people are aligned in my life and to curate and love them based on where they are, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. So I want to transition us into the lightning questions that I ask everyone who comes on the show. And the first question, I'm excited about this because it's obvious that you're a learner. So what's something that you've learned recently that you're excited about? I could not be more excited to have recently learned the power of what I'll call counterbalance. So have you ever done like a DISC assessment or a personality assessment? Yeah. Okay. So I'm an ID uh, on the DISC, which means I am a pretty direct person, but I also really value my social relationships and am constantly kind of balancing those two things. My current boss in my day job is the exact opposite of me. And when we first started working together, we just kept just running into each other. And the, there was so much friction in the relationship and it was very frustrating for about a year. <laughs> and at some point, something changed where he realized that I was strong in you know, all of the ways that he was trying to become stronger. And I realized that he was strong in all of these ways that I really needed to become stronger. And we became, in a lot of ways, the perfect counterbalance to one another, where I could go to him in areas where I was weak and get his guidance and and really open up and be vulnerable and say, I, I don't know how these things work. Can you help me? And the same was true for him. And it just made me really think about team design, organizational design, community design from a new frame of reference, which is that having counterbalance in any room actually makes the entire room stronger. And I think I had to like go through that to, to feel that. And I'm so glad that I've learned this and have had this experience so early in my career because now I can just bring this into any room that I walk into from here on out. That's really great. And that's such a valuable way to view it because you could you could have easily just said, okay, this isn't working out. Maybe I need to transfer. Maybe I need a different job. But the way that you reframed it is really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, there were some trying days in there, but... I think both of us came out the other side and now have a really wonderful working relationship and re- like really have realized we're, we're stronger together than either of us independently. Yeah. What is something that you are in the process of unlearning? When I was reflecting on this earlier, I was almost afraid to share it because I think it's a universal truth, but then 
then I fear that maybe it's not. I'm in the process of unlearning the negative dialogue that is inside of my head all day, every day, both working against myself, you know, calling myself hateful things that I would never let a friend call me or never call a person that I care about. And also just negative thoughts I have about people that I run into that don't treat me the way that I want to be treated. And I'm trying to unlearn my reactions to that, which is like, oh, that person is so annoying or, oh, that person just doesn't get it or, you know, all these negative things and give them grace, even if it's just in my own head saying, wow, Steph, that was really negative that you just said that about that person, even though you just said it in their head, in your head. How can you reframe this? How can you give them love through your thoughts in whatever way you can? If they don't have their stuff together, then it's just like, you know, they probably have a lot going on in their life and I don't have my stuff together every day either. And that's okay. So maybe you can show up and support them instead of cutting them down in your head. And again, I'm, I fear saying this out loud because I hope that, (laughs) that, it doesn't come off the wrong way, but I think you're, you just have these negative inner narratives that play out your entire life. And until you become very aware of them and then actively try and disrupt them, they just kind of exist unconsciously or subconsciously. And I'm trying to be very intentional and very conscious about how I'm showing up, not only for myself, but for other people, even if it's just showing up for them in my own head. Thank you for your vulnerability. I really appreciate you being authentic in that way. And it's definitely, if nothing else, it's something that I struggle with too. So we may be the two crazy (laughs) people, but I have a feeling that it's something for people who are listening that they can relate to as well. Thank you for making me feel less alone. That is is comforting because I'm like, am I the only one? I feel so negative when I do this and I'm trying to change it, but I'm not perfect. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a journey, but I feel like the awareness around it is like a huge step forward, just being able to notice it and call it out. Yeah. So last question, what's a way that you've grown that you're proud of? This is your chance to brag on yourself and let us celebrate you. Ooh, get the chance to brag. (laughs) Um, I was just flipping my hair over here, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Where I've grown the most. I have my entire career, honestly, just my entire life, always been a person who's been the first to be so humble that I I wouldn't even advocate for myself. Meaning, you know, I get a question from a coach, what did you do over the summer? And that summer I'd lost 30 pounds and decreased my mile time by three minutes. And I was like, oh, you know, nothing, the usual. I didn't do anything different. Same thing in reviews at work, right? I have been told by my peers and I have objective outcomes that illustrate how above and beyond I go. And then self-review comes up and I'm like, I don't know, I did kind of okay. Maybe actually I did really, really bad. I should probably be fired. I'm so sucky. Even though all of the evidence would point to the fact that, you know, I'm a high achiever and, and actually doing very well. And so... Where I've grown the most over the last few years is being open to 
staying humble, but also advocating for myself and saying, I put in a lot of effort and it's okay that there are these amazing outcomes happening because of all the hard work that I've put in. And probably adjacent to that is expressing what I want and then taking action towards getting it, whether that is advocating for myself and getting myself into rooms that I want to be in or taking a really big idea and initiative, breaking it down into more tangible bits and then executing against those. I think just my where I've grown the most is my ability, desire, and willingness to say what I want, advocate for myself, and then take action towards getting whatever it is. And I'm really excited about what this will create for me in the future if I continue down this road. So Steph, if people want to stay connected with you on the internet, where can they find you? Yeah, they can find me at pretty much by Steph Caldwell anywhere, B-Y-S-T-E-F-C-A-L-D-W-E-L-L.com, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, all the things. Um, And if you're interested in following Manifest, which is the business that I run along with my amazing team, then you can find us at manifest-her.com, manifestchicago.com, and then manifest.her on Instagram. Wonderful. Well, Steph, thank you for being on the show. And thank you to everyone else for listening. Thanks for having me, Taylor. Thanks to Andres Rodriguez for the intro and outro music. You can keep in touch with me on Instagram at Taylor Elise Morrison. Elise is E-L-Y-S-E. And check out the resources on my website at taylorelise.com.